The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. It's an amazing day, isn't it, for Christians? It's the day when we pause to think about all that's been done. You know, when God decided to make man and women and put them in the garden, create the universe, he put them in the garden and he also gave them a capacity because he created them in his image. He made Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed into him, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then he said it was not right that man should be alone. And so he caused a deep sleep to come over Adam. And he took a bone from his side and he created woman. And he gave him this amazing garden. Everything in the garden they could have except one tree. You see, God did not want to create robots. He created man with the capacity to choose to love. And therefore, everything was good. But when temptation came and man and woman decided that their desires were worth putting before God, sin entered into the world. And because of that sin, death passed upon all of us. Now, <clears throat> if you're regulars here at Grace, you've heard me say in the past that when I was a new Christian, I used to say, well, why didn't he just wipe them out and start over? You know, kind of like a child with clay. Just refashion it and start again. Adam and Eve 2.0. And maybe get it right this time. But there's a problem with that. Because God is so holy and sovereign, he chose to love Adam and Eve. And he chose to love you and I. Had he wiped out Adam and Eve, who bore the, sin, the uh, seed for you and I, we never would have been here. But because God so loved you and me, he made a way of escape. He put a plan in motion so that there would be a way for us to regain that fellowship with him. And it was in his son, Jesus Christ. He covered Adam and Eve. He set up a system of sacrifices looking forward to the time when Christ would come. And for all of us, after Christ, we look back at what took place. And we realize that because man is sinful, we can never do enough to get to heaven. We're sinners. We can't say enough prayers. We can't do enough good deeds. All men are sinners. It'd be like two men being in quicksand and one saying to the other, I'll save you, I'll go down first. Well, a lot of good that does. You're both in quicksand. It needed to be someone outside of the human race who was sinless. And so Jesus, <clears throat> being perfect, sinless man and God, born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit so that sinner's blood would not be in him, he came, lived a perfect life, and put himself on the cross to pay for our sins. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. And if you're visiting with us here and you do not have a Bible, feel free to use the one in the pew in front of you. And <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, please take it with you. 
<clears throat> excuse me. I had to caution her. If I go like this, mute it. Matthew 27, looking at verse 32 to 44. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, the one on the right and the one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Where do you go to find a king today? It's difficult to find kings today because we live in a democratic society. They've been replaced by presidents and elected officials. Some kings have even been replaced by dictators. But there are a few kings left. And when you find them, you find them in kings' houses and palaces. But here in Matthew chapter 27, we find the king of kings, the king of the universe, hanging on a a rough, rugged, hand-hewn cross, beaten, bleeding, mocked, and left to die. I want you to see, first of all, the offensiveness of the cross. The cross was so offensive to the Romans that they refused to let any of their people be crucified, no matter what they had done. Cicero, a politician of the day, made this comment. He said, A most cruel and disgusting punishment. It is a crime to put a Roman citizen in chains. It is an enormity to flog him, sheer murder to slay one. What then shall I say of crucifixion? It is impossible to find the words for such abomination. Let the very mention of the cross be far removed, not only from the Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, and his ears. And if the mention of the cross was an offense to the Romans, it was even more important to the Jews. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 through 23, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, of course the tree here is the cross, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him in the same day. For a hanged man is a cursed by God. You shall not defile your hand that the Lord your God given you, or the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. You see, they understood this to mean that a crucified man was literally abandoned by God. 
And you begin to understand further the depth of the crucifixion. This explains why Jesus was crucified outside the city. Because it was so abhorrent, they wouldn't let it take place within the city walls. The early Christians knew this. And they quoted Deuteronomy often by, by saying in Acts chapter 5, verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. They were not ashamed of the cross, nor are we. Like the Apostle Paul who wrote about the glory of the cross, we do not hesitate to let everyone know how Jesus died. In fact, the cross is used to mark cemeteries and churches. Some people wear the cross around their neck and some as lapel pins. And why? Because Christians know that it was by crucifixion that Jesus Christ took upon himself the curse of all of us. Paul made this very explicit in Galatians 3.13 when he said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So in addition to the death, it was the means of the death that was so rough. <clears throat> they didn't just kill him. They didn't just execute him. They killed him in the most vile, cursed manner possible. The cross is not our shame. It's our glory. And what of the crucifixion itself? You know, there are six aspects of the crucifixion that are fulfillment of specific Old Testament prophecies that Matthew has recorded right here in this section. Matthew often recorded Old Testament because the book of Matthew was written to the Jews. Matthew was written to give them an understanding that Jesus was and is their Messiah. The first one is the wine mixed with gall in verse 34. Each of the Gospels contains a reference to this, but it is likely that there are two different acts. Matthew and Mark describe an offer that Jewish sources say was customary to be done by wealthy women in the community. They would take wine and mix it with gall to help deaden the pain. And this was done at the beginning of the crucifixion. John refers to one that was done near the end of the story. He reports that when Jesus said, I am thirsty, in order to fulfill Psalm, 29, or Psalm 69, verse 21, which says, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me wine to drink. The soldiers soaked a sponge in cheap wine, put it on a staff, and lifted it to his lips. This time, Jesus took it. And we know that it was the end of the ordeal, ordeal because as soon as he took it, he said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. Number two, gambling for Christ's clothes. In verse 35, each of the Gospels report that the soldiers divided Christ's clothes, although John says that it was for his outer garment that was seamless that they divided it. John is also the only one that makes this clear and makes a direct reference to Psalm 22:18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Number three, the written charge against Jesus in verse 37. Each of the Gospels details the plaque that was put over Jesus' head. 
being translated from Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, according to John 19.20, there are snippets of the report that are put up. The important thing is that the message was clear for people to understand. It said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. The important thing is that Jesus was crucified claiming to be the Messiah, and he was the Messiah. But he was rejected by Jews and Romans alike. But he lives today as the ruler of all people. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords over all. Number four, the robbers with him in verses 38 and 44. Each of the gospel also report that the two robbers crucified with him, one on each side, Luke reports that only one was saved, and two of them report them called robbers and not thieves. Robbers was the same word used to describe Barabbas, and it probably means more than just a thief. The word refers to what we would call a guerrilla soldier or a revolutionary. And it's clear that the two men crucified on either side of Jesus were part of Barabbas' group. It's interesting, and I believe, that the cross in the middle was originally intended for Barabbas. Jesus literally took his place, just as he takes the place of you and I today. Luke explains that both robbers cursed Jesus along with all the others. And then one of them settled down and he said, Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then turning to the Lord, he pled, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Here's the thing you need to understand here. One thief was saved so that no one might despair, but only one so that no one might presume. Salvation is offered. It's not automatic. And that's a clear way of understanding this. One thief was saved so that no one might despair, but only one so that no one might presume. Can you just hear Isaiah 53, 12? Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He died with the transgressors. Number five, insults from the people passing by, verses 39 through 40. The insults from them passing by is from Psalm 22, 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads at me. You see, what Matthew is doing is he's proving to these people that everything that took place was recorded hundreds of years earlier by the prophets. He's helping them understand that this Jesus was your Messiah. And everything that took place was according to the Scripture. And then number six, much like number five, the mocking by the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders in verses 41 through 43. References to these three groups of people indicates that they were members of the Sanhedrin, the very body that arrested him, tried him, and sentenced him to be crucified. They challenged him to have God deliver him, unwittingly fulfilling the taunt of Psalm 22.8. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. 
Do you realize that when you are being challenged today by those who would espouse an ungodly ideal, that they are challenging God to prove himself? God could have struck them down from the cross, but it was for mercy's sake that he did not. And for mercy, he went, to the, went on and died a cruel death. And they, today, he is showing the same mercy and love to you and I that he showed to them. Shouldn't we be showing the same mercy to the world around us? Jesus on the cross cried, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. When someone reviles you, curses you, pokes fun at your Christianity, passes laws that seem to push you into the back seat. Did you ever realize they don't know what they're doing? Can you have the same compassion that Christ had for you? Can you die to self and offer them the same mercy that Christ offered you? He died for you. Can we imagine the scene? We might think of a lacerated body bleeding from head to toe, but we can't possibly fathom the horror of the scene. All the artists who ever painted the crucifixion have never captured the details as they were. They were too clean, too sterile, but the crucifixion was bloody and vulgar and repulsive. Yet he was the Son of God. Think of that and try to understand something of the horror of your sins in the grace, love, and mercy and compassion of our God. What happened to Jesus is how a holy God looks at your sin, yet he put it all on Christ. Jesus endured the cross for you, and not just as an example of how to endure suffering. Jesus endured the agonies of the cross in your place. The cross was God's punishment for your sins. And when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was for you that the eternal bond with the Father was broken. Eternal God turned his back on eternal son. You see, God is so holy and perfect that he can't be in the presence of sin. He cannot look at sin. And so when all your sins and mine were dumped on Christ and he bore all those sins, God the Father literally turned away and let him die. There is a level of love, folks, that you and I can't even begin to fathom here. And it's because God chose to love you that he stayed true to who he is and he allowed Christ to free you by his death. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Think of that. God so loved you that he gave his son you and I could scarcely fathom giving our child. But that's what he did. 1 Peter 
He himself who bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Did you ever stop and wonder what does it mean to die to sin? Well, let me make it very clear for you. It literally means to die to self. Matthew 15 verse 19 says, Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. All sins come from the heart of man because man is a sinful being. To die to sin is to die to yourself and live unto the righteousness that he's provided. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive unto the Spirit. The key here is that he, Jesus, brings you and I to God. You can't bring yourself. You can't say enough prayers. You can't do enough good things. You can't earn your way to God. You can only get to God through Jesus Christ, and that's by accepting what he gave, did for you on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And then one of the, <clears throat> my favorite verses, Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, folks, he's not going to let you get away. When he lavished his love on you and he draws you by his spirit, he's calling you to him. John Ryle once wrote this. He said, was he scourged? It was that through his stripes we might be healed. Was he condemned, though innocent? It was that we might be acquainted, or be acquainted through, though guilty. Did he wear a crown of thorns? It was that we might wear the crown of glory. Was he stripped of his raiment? It was that he might be clothed in everlasting righteousness. He was mocked and reviled? It was that we might be honored and blessed. Was he reckoned a malefactor and numbered among the transgressors? It was that we might be reckoned innocent and justified from all sin. Was he declared unable to save himself? It was that he might be able to save others to the uttermost. Did he die at last, <clears throat> and that the most painful and disgraceful of deaths? It was that we might live evermore and be exalted to his glory. Let's remember this when we realize what Jesus did this day. And then there's the final mocking. The final mocking that we see. The gospel 
Gospels all tell of the crucifixion, of course, for it is the chief point of the narrative. But each also contains its own special emphasis. And for Matthew, it seems to be the, the uh, scourging and, and the, the mocking that took place. The interesting thing, though, is that these insults were all highly ironic. The first was about Jesus claiming to destroy the temple in three days and raise it up. This was accused of him at the trial. And they tried to prove it, and they never could in their own way. The people knew about it. It had been floating around. Matthew 27, verse 40 says, And saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. They ridiculed him for his words. But it was by his death that he was destroying the temple and by his resurrection that he was rebuilding it. And it was that resurrection that we celebrate today. The leaders did not address Jesus directly. They scorned him by looking away from him. Matthew 27, verses 41 through 43, So also the chief priests with the Sadducees and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him if he he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Continual mockery. Ironically, they used the same words that Satan did when he tempted him in the wilderness. Matthew 4 verse 3 says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Matthew 4, verse 6, And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You see, they were saying the same thing now. If you are the Son of God, save yourself. (coughs) Simple request. The, The Pharisees were being used by Satan, just as he had in the wilderness. But the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Precisely by volunteering to go to the cross, Jesus was destroying the temple, of the temple of his body. And in three days, he would rebuild it. <clears throat> and precisely because he was the son of God, he would not come down from the cross. Let me me put this into perspective. Just imagine that Jesus says, what? It's enough. (laughs) And he floats off the cross and he comes down and lands before them on the ground. Every drop of blood, blood on his body is gone. His wounds are healed like they had never been there. His crown of thorns is gone, replaced by a royal crown. His arms are stretched out wide and his body is clothed in white raiment. The Pharisees would fall on the ground and they would cry out, worship him. He's king of kings and lord of lords. The soldiers 
would fall down crying out for mercy. He's God. <clears throat> Look what we've done. Mary and James and the others would be running around going, I told you so. I told you. Within minutes, word would have spread to the city. And thousands of people would have come rushing out, crying out, Hosanna, King of Kings. Within a few days, in a few weeks, the known world would have rushed to that point to praise him. There would have been so much evidence, so much recorded, that it would have been passed down through generation after generation. And today, the churches would not be big enough to hold all the people that worship him and praise him. And we would say, why not this way? There's just one problem. Sin would never have been paid for. And every worshiper of God would have died and gone into a Christless eternity. But no, God, he so loved you that he refused to come off the cross until he was a dead, limp body. God so loved you. A mercy so far beyond our comprehension. And all he ever asked us to do is believe in him. Realize he is God. Surrender your life to him. You can't get there any other way. Sin demands payment. <clears throat> the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And death will be paid. Either you pay it yourself by rejecting him and going into a Christless eternity. Or you accept what he did for you. Accept his payment for you. And go with him for eternity. That is the message of the cross. And that is the great message of the resurrection. Because when he rose from the grave, he forever defeated death. Death has no sting. Death has no power. And for the child of God, when they die physically, they instantly are in his presence. And he's there welcoming them for a joyous eternity. God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved you that he gave. Will you accept that free gift? And in so doing, will you love those around you with that same mercy? Will you love those who are different, who may not have the understanding, and love them with the same mercy? that he loved you with. All we like sheep have gone astray, but because of his great love, he brings us to him. That's the message of the cross. It is a free gift. You can't work for it. It is a free gift, and it's being offered this morning. As Justin comes to lead us in a closing prayer, <clears throat> let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are an amazing, loving God. Men deride you. Men ridicule you. 
because they wanted you to save yourself by saving your physical life, but you were saving a spiritual eternal life. And for that reason, you refused to come off that cross. Lord, I know that there may be people here who don't have that relationship with you yet. I pray that you would speak to their heart in a mighty way. I pray that you would draw them to you. Show them the great love that you had for them, choosing them before the foundation of the world, that they might come now, repent of their sins, cast everything on you, and be assured of eternal life. Work in the hearts of each one of us, Lord, as we give you all the praise in Christ's name.